My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 146, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Kings 4, 2 Chronicles 28, and Psalm 127. 2 Kings 4 The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take away my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she asked, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the doors behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went out and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there, who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put him in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shuamite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, She has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, Call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, You will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. His father told a servant, Carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please, send one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shuamite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. 
Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, as he stretched himself out on him. The boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shuamite. And he did. When she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and cook stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men. But as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God twenty loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them and they ate and some left over according to the word of the Lord. Second Chronicles 28. Ahazah was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense to the high places, on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of king of Aram. The Aramians defeated him and took many of his people as prisoners and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. And one day, Pekah, son of Ramaliah, killed 120,000 soldiers in Judah, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Zikri, an Ephraimite warrior, killed Messiah, the king's son, Azrakam, the officer in charge of the palace, and Elkanah, second to the king. The men of Israel took captive from their fellow Israelites, who were from Judah, 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there, and he went out to meet the army when it returned to Samaria. He said to them, 
because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow Israelites you have taken as prisoners, for the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. Then some of the leaders in Ephraim, Azariah's son of Jehoanan, Berechai, son of Meshelamoth, Jehikai, son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Hadlai, confronted those who were arriving from the war. You must not bring those prisoners here, they said, or you will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add to our sin and guilt? For our guilt is already great, and his fierce anger rests on Israel." So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and plunder in the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated by name took the prisoners and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink, and healing balm. All those who were weak they put on donkeys. So they took them back to their fellow Israelites at Jericho, the city of Palms, and returned to Samaria. At that time, King Ahaza sent to the kings of Assyria for help. The Edomites had again come and attacked Judah and carried away prisoners, while the Philistines had raided towns in the foothills and in the Negev of Judah. They captured and occupied Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, and Gedaroth, as well as Soko, Timnah, and Gimzo, with their surrounding villages. The Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him, but he gave him trouble instead of help. Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the officials and presented them to the king of Assyria, but that did not help him. In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him, for he thought, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them so they will help me. But they were his downfall and the downfall of all Israel. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them to pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. In every town in Judah, he built high places to burn sacrifices to other gods and arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. The other events of his reign and all his ways from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city. City of Jerusalem, but he was not placed in the tombs of the kings of Israel, and Hezekiah, his son, succeeded him as king. Psalms 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So we read in the beginning that one day or sometime later, Elisha, which biblical scholar Dr. August Conkel describes as stories of Elisha that did happen, but we are not told the stories in a chronological order per se. 
Dr. Conkell explains this makes the stories overtly focused on what God is doing through Elisha without the distraction of personal names or political officials. Elisha is showing God's sovereignty through acts of justice and well-being in sharp contrast to the conflicts leading to physical and economic death that we've been reading about with all of these kings in the north and in the south. God's sovereignty is revealing his rightful place as Israel's king in contrast to all the kings we've been reading about. So in the first miracle, what strikes me is the contrast in loan debt principles to present or to North American present. Remember, in the ancient world, a debt can be repaid through indentured servitude or slavery. So this woman's husband, who had been a prophet, who was now dead, must have taken out a sizable loan whose equivalent repayment was their two sons for work repayment. And I'm not even sure at this point in the story how, by the law of Moses, they were about their treatment of these types of contracts. Because remember in Exodus 21, a slave could only work for someone six years before they must be set free in the seventh unless they choose to stay and the owner could not send out a slave destitute either. Yet, the compounding problem is that a female widow in a patrilineal society had no means to make their own income because they could not own or earn money, nor were they allowed to read or be educated. Her provision and protection had to come from her sons, her husbands, surviving male relatives, or her father or brothers. If there weren't any, and in times of war and nomadic seasons, I imagine this was not only possible, but probable in many cases. This doesn't mean the woman would not have any artisan or crafts among other skills or that some may have been educated in some ways or found a way to own property or some occasion, you know, made made money some way. But this was not the norm or what the laws or those that enforced it would try to protect or ensure. So female widows, the point of the story is that they're particularly vulnerable. And that's why the laws of Moses also were designated to care for them. In addition, she wasn't only a widow, but she was a prophet's widow. And as we've been reading, the prophets were being persecuted by Jezebel's position of leadership in Israel as the wife of King Ahab in the north, and she's the high priestess of Baal. This was tragic and a rather desperate situation the woman was facing, and she reached out to Elisha for help. Yet, I love how a beautiful Christian Life blog author wrote how Elisha's first instinct is not to criticize, judge, or be suspicious of her or her husband's business dealings, loan, or even the loan shark themselves. Instead, Elisha erupts with charity, generosity, and willingness. It makes me think back to our call to be prodigally generous as we put God on display in our lives to others and care for those God puts in our spheres of influence. Elisha doesn't just snap his fingers, but asks her to call in and receive the prodigal generosity of her neighbors who give her as many jars as they can. Then Elisha tells her to shut her doors. This may seem odd, but when we look back to Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 and 11, the creditor, the person you owe a loan to, according to the law of Moses given to Israel, could not go into a house to collect a pledge, but they must wait for the owner to bring the pledge out. Again, this reminds me of how important it is to remember that God made everyone in his image with a portion of his power and authority, and we're not to take, but wait to receive. We are also learning that we are being called to be a people that give. 
to give and to receive and not take. In this story, her sons would be protected in the house, a safe space, a sanctuary, as well as the precious resource she has, the very little bit she has, oil used for cooking, to burn light, and to make medicines of poultice. While God was amplifying the precious resource she had with the help of her neighbor's jars, her sons, the law, the prophet Elisha, God's messenger, God is the redeemer in this story. And he was calling her, her sons, her neighbors, the law, the community, all into the story. So it's like a story in the story. When the time came, she went out and sold what she needed to absolve her family's debt and provide for her and her sons. I also note how oil is frequently used in scripture to point to the Holy Spirit. Elisha interceded as a messenger of God as Jesus will intercede for our debts on the cross. In the next story, we read about how Elisha was a traveling prophet who had given up his vocation or the profession of farming. In this story, we are told that a wealthy couple, and the focus, the emphasis seems to be on the woman, provides a place for him to stay in whenever he's traveling and doing work in that area, and they give him food. As a response to being blessed, Elisha blessed her or sought to bless her in God's name by giving her and her husband a child. She so desired, but they were also in their older years and hadn't had a child yet. What a blessing, because this is what happens. She has a son. Then a few years later, this child dies. While some might respond with contempt or a hard heart, this woman kept her heart soft and held faith. She sought out Elisha, and even though her husband could not understand her resolve or why she would seek the prophet, in response, Elijah, because he is only a messenger of God, intercedes for her going to God in prayer, asking for mercy and life. Believing for it, Elisha comes and warms the child's body, making ready for the miracle of God himself. The boy is restored to life in the arms of his mother. It's just truly amazing. And such a testament to who God is. And we also read two more stories about the provision for the prophets being cured from the ailment of eating bad food and providing more food by way of God's miraculousness than was present at the time. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting that sense that we've read similar stories in the gospel checkpoint so far, where Jesus brought Lazarus back to life and the daughter of Jairus, and Jesus fed 5,000. You just get this sense in the story that Jesus, the true king of Israel, is coming, and that despite all the truth in the story of the human kings becoming more and more lost, adrift, corrupt, and the people too, in as we also were read in Second Chronicles story, We read the story of the southern king of Judah, Ahaz, who sadly turned not only against Yahweh God for reasons not completely explicit, but he full-fledged became a pagan worshiper taking Judah in that direction. And he wasn't even buried in the tomb with the other kings of Israel. But we get at the same time this this hint of the true king that's coming that's all about justice and well-being and restoration and redemption. God is holding true to his side of the promise, being faithful to us even as we're watching our own people and representation of us supposed to be in the story completely being unfaithful. So Hezekiah, his son of King Ahaz, will succeed him as king. Looking forward to seeing what happens next.
Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.